Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. This morning, I want to look at a scripture in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. If you go there in your Bibles, it's probably a familiar, very familiar scripture. Um, One that if you were ever in Sunday school when you were younger, you'd definitely remember this one, right? But I had been reading this part of scripture this week and God was showing me some things about it. And when I found out that I would be preaching this morning, I felt that this is what God wanted me to speak on. Praise God. So John chapter 6, verses 1 says, Sometimes after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. And so at this point, they are following him for the stuff that he can give, not for who he is. And it's the first stage of, of following, following God. At first, you follow him because of what he can do for you. And then you progress with him long enough, and your question will no longer be, what can he do for you? It should be, what can he do through you? Amen? And so this morning, I want to title this sermon, More Than Enough. Amen? How many know that God is more than enough? Amen, amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. Lord God, I pray and I, I pray that no matter what we are going through, no matter the struggle or the trial, that you are always there for us. Lord God, I thank you that you are always more than enough for us. I pray that you would speak through me and that you would anoint your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts, God, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. And you may be seated. Now, Jesus is on a boat, and we know that, you know, Jesus picked Peter not because he was such a great preacher, but because he actually had a boat. Right? <laughs> he said it right. <laughs> you, know, you know how, like, sometimes when you're in, when you're in high school and you... uh had the friends that had the car. They had the ride that could get you places. <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only one. <laughs> well, Peter was kind of like that for Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But the truth needed transportation, right? And Jesus is the truth. And in order for the word to get out, it's going to take a vehicle. It's, it's going to take a vessel. And in, in this case, it was a boat. And since his ministry was happening primarily around the Sea of Galilee, Peter had what Jesus needed to get around, and, and, and Jesus had what Peter needed, and that he couldn't be without him. How many of you want God in your boat? Amen? How many want God in your life, God in your decisions? Amen, amen. 
And so Jesus had been healing many people and crowds had been coming all because Peter was willing to say, yeah, sure, you can use my boat. And they launched out and their ministry was growing and Jesus becomes so successful that he can't even get away for a little bit of rest. You see in verse three, back to that chapter six, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was was near when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him, for he had already had in his mind what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. Amen? And I tell you something about Jesus hanging on that cross while everybody, everyone wept and thought that the light of the world was extinguished. He already knew what he was going to do. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you about every situation in your life that you, you didn't see a way out before God ever lets you get in it? <laughs> he already knew what he was going to do to bring you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Amen? So Jesus is messing with Philip because after all, he's the Messiah, right? All right, that's a bad dad joke. <laughs> and uh, Philip answered him, and I think he took a, a little while before he answered because he gives a pretty precise calculation. He doesn't just guesstimate. He says eight months wages. Hold on a second. If we took eight months wages, we still couldn't pass a crumb out to everybody who came to hear you preach. It's 5,000 men after all out there. And many of them brought their wives and their crumb snatching kids. <laughs> They're running around <laughs> And eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two, two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Be humble. There, were, there was plenty of grass in that place, and, and the men sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. And so you have to imagine this. They, they are standing in front of a crowd of 5,000 hungry men, and, and Jesus is in front of them with just this little sack lunch, praying over it like it's going to feed everybody. <laughs> like, bless this food, and thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you for providing <laughs> but, I mean, think about that. In our lives, can, can we even say thank you for a little crumb? Just a little bit that God gives us? Can we be thankful for that? Can you be grateful over what seems to you to not be enough? And if I look at this passage, I see the same, uh, I see this, this theme of not enough. It's, it's just not enough. Now the Bible says in verse 10 that there's plenty of grass, but we don't need grass, we need grub, right? 
and it's not enough, but Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks over what was not enough, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish, and when they had all that they could, that they had, they couldn't eat any more, they had more than enough, and he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted, so they gathered and filled 12 baskets. Each of them got to take one home. There's 12 disciples, you got 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now I know this is a very familiar story and you may be saying that I know about the leftovers and, and, there's, and there's nothing you can say about John chapter 6 that you don't already know and you already know it all, right? <laughs> It's just a miracle, the only, the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. But I hope you are able to get a revelation for your life in this story today. That is the, the, the great part about the Word of God because it is a living Word and God can use a story that you know very well to speak something new in your life. Amen? Have you ever heard of people saying that you know, the Bible is, is like the starting place and they look at the Bible as the basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah. They think that the Bible is a good place to start, but then you should progress past the, the Bible. I've never had that problem because for me that the Bible is, is only a starting place. It's not only a starting place for me. It's, it's a living word and, and, and it speaks every day. It speaks understanding to my life and it and it speaks to my needs and my psychology my own psycho psychopathy it's not a place for me to discover who God is in his fullness but I find that the more I read the Bible the more the Bible starts reading me and so something as simple as this story is it can unfold with new layers and levels of meaning, not only from the customary background in which it was written, but also in, season, in, in, in seasons of our life, we will see our needs differently. And there, are may, there, there may be a sense in which the driving point of this passage is what to do when there is not enough, not enough time. You know, here in Wisconsin, it's getting dark at about 2.30 p.m. There's just not enough time, not enough daylight. Oh, my goodness. Not enough, we don't have enough patience. Do any of you have family members that there's just no supply of patience that could equip you? <laughs> you don't have to name any names, but isn't it interesting how today in the 21st century in America, we have so much yet we feel we never have enough. We live in an age of, of never enough because no matter how much information that we seem to put out into the world, we come up with more ignorance and less wisdom. Doesn't even make sense because people are over there making their own philosophies. But often we wake up in the morning and our first thought is, I didn't get enough sleep. And we get out of bed at, or we go to bed at night and and I didn't get enough done. And we earned a lot of money, but we don't have enough opportunity to enjoy it. Or we have opportunity to enjoy our lives, but we don't have enough money to leave the house. <laughs> it's never enough. 
I was, and so I was reading John chapter 6 this week, and I began to realize that John 6 is the collision of too much and not enough. And God said, I want you to realize that with my spirit within you and the power of my word on your lips, it's Christ who is enough. In Christ, who before all things existed, was all things, and now is the word made flesh to dwell among us. Amen? In Christ, you are always enough. And I don't know what little bit of bread you may have in your cupboard today, but I want to tell you, in the hands of the master, it is enough. Amen. How many believe that? Amen. Tell your neighbor, he's always enough. He's always enough. And so it's, it's never not enough. What a powerful, practical passage where we can see the principle illustrated dynamically. He is always more than enough, amen? And my God is always more than enough. It doesn't matter if I'm in a drought, even in a famine. My God is more than enough. God will send a bird to drop food where, where, where if you were starving. But if you have to be in the right position because he is more than enough, Get some jars from your neighbors. It doesn't matter. He will always be more than enough, and he will always supply for your needs. Amen, amen. I, th- I thought scarcity was a situation, but now I found out it's a sensation because I found out that there can never be enough money to make you feel like you ever have enough. Until God within you becomes enough, it will never be. And I thought enough people could compliment you where you would get enough compliments where you would have a lot of confidence. But I found out that if Christ is not the cornerstone of your core concept of yourself and your character, it will never be enough. But now when he speaks over my life, who I am in him and what I have because of him. There is no shortage in this world that can disconnect me from my supply. You hear what I'm preaching to you? It's not, it's, it's, it's enough, and the disciples are going to learn this, and in order to learn this, there are th- three things that they must do. And the first thing that the disciples had to do that we must do if we are to receive what God has promised to us, because God's promises are optional. But Nate, I thought you said they were promises. They are. But here is the key. The promise is always attached to a principle. And you cannot separate the promise from a process that creates it. Amen? The promise is always attached to a principle. And so he promises peace, but the process of peace is keep your mind stayed on me. He will keep you in in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on him. You can't fill your head with Facebook and then ask God to cancel out all those empty calories of ignorant, ignorant opinions and provide you with the supernatural peace that goes beyond your understanding. Peace is produced by a process and so is provision. And both are in this passage. But the first thing we must do to receive all that God has to supply is to lean in to lean into what God is telling you. 
Amen. And I mentioned that this miracle is recorded in all four Gospels, and it seems to be an insignificant miracle to record in all four Gospels. And I don't mean that it's not cool. It's, it's very cool. It's very impressive, and it's very entertaining. But to choose one miracle to record across Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel, John wants to talk about it as well and and when you see people getting up off the stretcher off the stretchers and when Jesus walks through the streets and that's not all in, in that's not all in the, the gospels we see the little girl being raised from the dead even Lazarus didn't make all four of the gospels but this little boy did with some barley bread the cheapest bread available to them this is not a yeast roll it's not one of those nice Asiago cheese bagels that I love <laughs> from Panera. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lunchtime. <laughs> it's not even pumpernickel. I just like saying that. Pumpernickel. <laughs> and yet it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Which is fortunate because John leaves something out that I need to know about the situation that created the provision. Okay, and what John says in verse 1, sometimes, um, sometimes after this, Jesus crossed to the far shores like it was a good time for a retreat and a good time for a buffet, but it wasn't because the other writers tell us that John the Baptist, who had been the forerunner of the message of Jesus Christ, the one who prepared the way for the Lord, had, had his head taken off by a king who didn't want to hear the truth. And on the heels of this news, in an effort to get away and regroup with the disciples who would have no doubt been confused by this turn of events, Jesus is met by a crowd. And that, you know, every mother here of any three, if you ever had a three-year-old, can relate to the time when you finally get five minutes for a bathroom break and then you hear somebody banging on the door. <laughs> I was probably that kid. <laughs> Oh, boy. But I want you to know that your greatest opportunities will come at the most inconvenient times. You won't be in a good mood. You won't feel ready. You won't have any extra cash laying around and no kids going to college. God is going to show up in a time of shortage to see, to see do, do you really trust me? Do, do you trust in, in, or do you trust in the stuff? Do you trust in your money? And that's the question, and the disciples' first instincts was, pretty log it was a pretty logical one because Jesus, he is being irrational, and Jesus will teach people all day long, and I mean, he's just like, who needs to be healed? I got all day, I'm eternal. <laughs> but the disciples, it was like, hey man, they, they probably should eat and, and, and Matthew records that he said that the disciples came to Jesus with the suggestion, send the crowds away. Okay? There is always a temptation to send away the very thing that God sent to supply you with. The very thing that you prayed for. Remember, they followed him because they wanted to make a difference. And now here comes a chance to make a difference. And they push it away because they were operating by their intellect. Send them away. 
And if they had sent the crowds away, not only would the miracle not have occurred, but they wouldn't have had lunch either. <laughs> now, <laughs> how do I know that? Because it was a little boy's lunch, right? That ended up feeding the multitude. It wasn't Peter's. Peter didn't pack a sandwich. And you may be asking, why are you pointing that out? And that is because the very provision was in the inconvenience. You see, it was what they wanted to go away with that was carrying what they needed. And so when you come to church, there are certain things that the preacher will say that you will lean into because your neighbor needs to hear it. Because you've been trying to tell your husband, and, and would you please listen to the preacher? He's saying some important stuff right now. <laughs> Getting a little nudge. Can I tell you the word that you, you need and most, the most in your life is the one that you resist at first. That one that makes you cross your arms. That word that's one you need to lean into. The one that makes you uncomfortable. The one that makes something inside of, of, of you conflict with something else inside of you. That's the tension that produces growth. And that's the one, amen? The one that challenge you, challenges you, your comfort zone. That's the one. That's the, 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 the word to lean into. Even if you got to, to lean in with crossed eyes, even if you got to lean in with sweaty palms, it is the word that God brings to you that you most fiercely resist at first, that often releases the resources that you need the most. And so some people come to church and they sit back and they leave early to avoid traffic and it's they go to watch the football game or go to eat at Panera. But do you think God is going to let you sit there in your comfort and never challenge you to take your step of faith? He wants us to grow. He wants better for us. And so we have to lean in. In your marriage, you have to lean in to the difficult conversations if you want to stay married. It, it was the thing they wanted to send away that held the supply that they needed to accomplish the mission that they had signed up for. And that's why we give with a cheerful heart. And I'm leaned in. I'm leaned in. How can you be a part of what you're not in, that you're not leaning in toward? How can you, re how can you receive from God if you have your arms folded? But if you lean in, I'm not talking about a physical posture. It's fine. I, I know you might have some back problems and you need to, to stand like that for your support. But what I'm talking about is the posture of your heart. The posture of your heart is the most reflective in where you put your time and your treasure. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so they had to lean in, and, and here's the second thing that they had to do, not only to lean in to the situation that they wanted to send away, but they had to, they had leaned in, and then they had to, number two, look down. And so maybe you're thinking, I made a mistake in my notes, because if you're paying close attention to the scripture, the Bible says that when Jesus went up on a mountainside, verse 3, and sat down with his disciples in verse 5, he looked up and saw a great crowd. So intuitively, we would say that 
you would need to look up. But studying the passage a few more times, I realized that as Jesus looked up at the crowd, he was looking down from the mountain. Look at it again in verse 3. You put that up for me? Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down with his disciples. And then verse 5, when he looked up, so it matters your vantage point in, in terms of what your decisions will be. It matters where you're seeing it from. It matters at what altitude you're looking at, your situation, what conclusions you will come to. Now, I would suggest to you that the only reason Jesus was able to see the needs of the crowd is because he saw them from heaven's perspective. And if he had not been on the mountainside seeking the will of God, he would have, he would have seen the people as an inconvenience. But because he had been on the mountainside spending time with God, when they saw an inconvenience, he saw an invitation. And it was where he saw it from that determined what he saw. And if you look at your life from, from the level of your life, you will only ever see problems and obstacles. But if you ever look at your life from the vantage point of your heavenly father, who knows the hairs on your head, and not one sparrow falls from the sky outside of his care, you will not see shortage, you will see opportunity. You will see space for God to move and you will see room for God to maneuver. But you have to go up, you have to go up to look down. And this is such a powerful principle. If you would let me explain it a little deeper from, from the Bible for one moment to get to this because you, ha you, got, you got Philip and you got Andrew and they are both employing two different methods of information. Processing, this is the psychological terminology. Okay, not the Bible's biblical terminology, but there are two ways of processing information. One is called bottom-up and one is called top-down. Bottom-up processing is when you look at something and you don't have knowledge about it. And so the way you look at it is based on your visual or your sensory perception. It would be like you looking at this microphone. You would know certain things about this microphone through your senses. You would see that perhaps it's a black microphone. It's a cordless microphone. And so I can move anywhere I want. But those are things that you would see. You can only describe it according to your senses. However, if we had an expert come up here and talk about this microphone, they would bore you to tears with details about this microphone that you never would have asked for in your life to hear about. <laughs> they could tell you what frequency this microphone must be on to cooperate with the equipment and so we don't get interference with any radio waves. They could tell you how the microphone will, 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 will take the sound waves of my voice and pass it to the receiver and that the receiver will send it through the soundboard, which then is amplified through the speakers. And they could go on and on and on. And why? Because they bring their knowledge and their experience to the situation. And so that's not bottom-up processing. That is called top-down processing. It means I take what I know and I apply it to what I see. 
And so I don't start with what I see and guess about what it is. I start with what I know because of what I've seen and I apply it to what I'm looking at now. And so I want to ask a question. Church, are you living life from the bottom up or the top down? Because when you have a revelation of the faithfulness of God, Amen. When you see him move the mountains in your life, you will look at the next mountain and you will look at it the next, the next need and you will look at the next command. You will look at the next Goliath and you stare him down and say, God's got this. I've been there. I've done that. I bought that slingshot. Bring it, devil. I can do this. Amen. And I'm, I'm living from the top down and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And I know his glory. I know he's good and I know he's a provider. He's a Jehovah Jireh. He's been there for me and he'll see me through. Amen? Touch somebody and say, I, say I know something. I know something. Jesus knew something that they didn't know because he came from somewhere they hadn't been. And so the only way I know this is because of what he said later in John chapter 6, and it was the first of seven statements that he made that started with two English words. He said, I am. In the background of this phrase, so sacred, it's the very name that God gave Moses when Moses wanted to know how. And God did not answer the how, he answered the who. He left a blank I am that I am. I am what you need. I am. And so he performs the miracles. He feeds the people and, and then he reveals his identity and he says something very challenging to his Jewish audience. I am the bread of life. Who if you're hungry, I am enough for every one of your appetites. Do you believe this? Or do you have to go get your needs met somewhere outside of God? I am the bread of life. I am your provider. I am what you need. I am. And the next thing he said refers to darkness. For the times that you live in confusion, I am. This year we are, uh, we are focused on the light of the world. And I want you to know there will never be so much darkness in life that God cannot guide your path. The world will never get so dark that the witness of a unified church cannot shine brightly the love of God. Amen? You are the light of the world, of a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden, but this light is not of you. It shines through you. I am the bread of life, and if you're hungry, I am the light for all those who walk in darkness. I am that I am. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the, your way out. I am your way in. I, if you feel trapped, I am. If you feel stuck, I am. If you feel locked out, I am. I am. I am. I am the passage to greener pastures. Not only am I the gate, I am the good shepherd. And do you need some direction in your life? Get behind me and follow me through the valley, through the pain, through the toil, through the troubles. Follow me. I am the resurrection. 
Even if it dies, if I say, get up, it's got to live. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. And if you feel disconnected, hook up with me. Because when you get connected to this, I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm making a way for everybody who will walk by faith. Amen. Amen. I am that I am. And Philip over there doing calculations in his head on how we can buy bread. (laughs) And we're standing right in front of bread. (laughs) Man, he is what you don't think you have enough of. And thank God for Andrew, because Andrew saves the day. Philip, from the bottom up, it's like, let's see if, see, it's about 5,000 men out there, and uh, uh, Philip's working on becoming an accountant, about to mess up the whole miracle. And... (laughs) And logic will always mess it up. Okay, are you going to do this by your reason or by revelation? Amen? And so Philip was, wasn't wrong. What he said was correct. It was just incomplete. He just failed to account for the greatest resource that they had. Amen? And so watch this. Watch this. Lean in. And you look down, but you listen up. That's the third one. The Bible says something it never says again here. Andrew spoke up. You never see him talk again in the whole Bible except this one time. (laughs) And thank God that he talked because what he said next led to a miracle that all four Gospels would record that he spoke. Amen? And so what did he speak? He spoke up and he was hearing something else. All Philip heard was reason and excuses. But Andrew, he heard something different in Jesus' question. He said, wait a minute. He wouldn't be asking this, us this, if, if he didn't know what he was going to do. God will never ask anything from you that he will not give to you. Please believe that. And, and that's how I can say that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches. From the top down, he is always enough. Amen. Amen. Would you stand in this place this morning? Thank you, Lord. If you listen down, you'll find a thousand reasons why not to trust. A thousand reasons why not to pray. A thousand reasons why not to forgive. A thousand reasons why not to stay. A thousand reasons why not to participate. We have an opportunity every week to be the light that God has called us to be. To walk by faith and not by sight. And there will always be another voice. After I put this mic down, it will tell you all the reasons it doesn't make sense. It will be the voice of calculations, not the voice of faith, and it will keep you from seeing what God can do through you. And so Andrew spoke up and he said, it, it doesn't seem like enough and it doesn't make sense, but here's what we have. He asked a question of his own, though, how far will it go among so many? Isn't that the question? Is it enough? Will what I do even matter? Will I have enough? If I give to God, 
will I have enough? It depends on who you think he is. If he's the bread, how could you ever need bread? You see, there's the question in verse 9. How far will they go among so many? And I think there's a verse that is missing where Jesus said, you want to find out? Bring it to me because you haven't seen what it can do in your, you've seen what it can do in your hands, but you haven't seen how many fish your boat could catch with me in it. Put it in my hands. Amen. And by the way, where did those 12 baskets come from? You think it's possible that Jesus put him in, put them in the boat before they ever got in the in because he already knew what he was going to do. He already knows. He already knows your needs. And if you have the faith to believe it, I declare that your needs will already be met in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm living from the top down. I am declaring who God is to me. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for your word that has gone forth today. This word that is living, I pray it touches somebody's heart, that they will be set free in a way that will change the rest of their life. I believe it and we thank you for this church, Lord God that you are building this ministry, that you have established. We, have, we feel privileged to be a part of something that is touching this city. Lord, I want to pray right now, God, for every person in every seat that this message would not just provide a moment of inspiration, but that you would speak now, giving clear instruction to your people, God. Faith without works is dead. So show them what to do with what they heard. Show them what who you are and, and, and then allow them to see what they're going through through the lens of who you are, God. We don't want to live by reason. We don't want to, to live by revelation. We want revelation, God. And you are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. You are the gate. You are the shepherd. You are the resurrection and the light. You are the vine. You are the way. And now, God, we want to be way makers. We want to be people to find you through us. And that's what we're here for, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. All that I have comes from you, God. And you are more than enough for me. Declare over these people today that there is no shortage in their life. It's greater than your glory. You are enough for me. Speak to our hearts, God. Speak to our deepest needs. May the knowledge of who you are be greater than the fear of what it is or what it is not. I pray that we would see a tremendous release of faith and a tremendous release of provision on behalf of your people, God. Hallelujah. Many need miracles in their families. Many need healing in their bodies, in their minds, Lord God. And, and you are the great I am. Lord, I pray that you would meet every need in this place today. God, we trust in you. We put our lives back in your hands because we know that you are all things. 
we know that you will work it all out for our good, God. You are the great I am. And we praise you this morning. In Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. With all of my mind. 